Hello and welcome to the Disney Animated Cannonball. I'm Talon, he, him. I'm Fox, she, her. And this episode, we did another double feature because these aren't very good movies. Stop us if you've heard this one before, but this episode we'll be doing a bundle musical and two half movies. Hey! First up, we have 1948's Melody Time. Ah, we have Fantasia at Home Part 2. This time, there's less. <laughs> well, there was less in the previous one because they left out the hillbilly number. Yeah. Um, as far as notes for the whole thing go, for the, the greater context of Melody Times, uh, it is worth noting that this is, this is a Tops of the Pops jukebox musical. These are all songs that were existent, popular stuff. Aren't they? Yeah, this this is the Disney version of Mamma Mia. Oh, boy. <laughs> I do not have more respect for it than I used to. <laughs> Hang on, wait a fucking minute. So Little Toot was a pop song when this was made? Yeah, it was a popular song. Oh, popular kids song, God. but it was a popular song. Oh, at least it was intended for children, okay. Yeah, same thing with the Pecos Bill song. That was popular because of Roy Rogers' TV show. Ah, and racism. Yeah, well, we'll get to that. Um, and just think, after this, after this, we'll be going back to all of our familiar features, like Eyelash Watch and The Yikes Door. <laughs> we can do Eyelash Watch in this one. Nada. Okay. Eyelashes do not belong to men. So, as with the other bundled musicals, instead of doing a plot summary that we then pick apart with things we find interesting, we're just going to barrel through it segment by segment. First up is Once Upon a Winter Time. We have Bambi at home. <laughs> they did that I, I did feel like they wanted to harken back to Bambi with those skating rabbits I must say yeah I don't have much to say on this one uh, like there's some notable uh there, there is some notable behavior like just don't laugh at people who are trying something difficult it's it's not cool and it's not funny Dickhead. probably don't laugh at your date when they hurt themselves yeah um and the noteworthy instance that in this all the heroic characters are animals that are explicitly not horny it is yeah this was a, a weird love story where uh, two men are kind of jerks to the girls they're with, and then the girls they're with are imminently endangered, uh, and the animals who were along for the ride save them, and yeah. somehow the boys get credit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's supposed to be hilarious. Well, I mean, not like laugh out loud hilarious, but like, ha, isn't that cute? Hilarious. What? <laughs> I, I will say, I love the storybook backgrounds they got going on here. Like, they're very much not trying to draw realistic scenery, and I think it's lovely. Yeah. I think it's credited to those... Uh, I, I mentioned previously a woman who was a background artist for a lot of the early Disney stuff, and their books in particular. Yeah. And I feel like this is her style a lot of the time. Uh, but I can't really back that up, and I can't remember her name, so I suck, I guess, and she'll continue to not get enough credit for what she did. Next up, Bumble Boogie. Uh, this is literally an instrumental nightmare. <laughs> this was very funny to me that this popped up after you talked about uh, the uh, previous not quite abstract, but definitely not material uh, uh, musical dreamscape kind of pieces. Yeah. <laughs> Just they came full circle with this one, huh? The, the music in this one's unironically good. Yeah. <laughs> I right. quite liked it. I, uh, it, it's like a retake on Flight of the Bumblebee, isn't it? It's not the same yeah, piece. It's, it's got not. added instrumentation. Yeah, sorry. It's, it's got, like, added instrumentation. Yeah, it's not the same thing as the Flight of the Bumblebee, but it uses the same technique to represent a bee. 
Yeah, yeah, and it contains the same tune in a lot of places. Yeah, uh, I will say that when it comes to this, there are three things we know about bees, like graphically. If you were going to ask a child to draw a bee, <laughs> there are three things that that bee would have in common across all the drawings. Uh, wings, black and white stripes, and six legs. Yeah, and none of them are true. <laughs> it's, uh, well, uh, it's kind of, I mean, it had wings. Oh, sorry, yes. My my list of three was black and yellow, stripes, and it uh, okay. had six limbs, and this bee never had that. But you're right, it does have wings. <laughs> well, you're gonna love when we get to Bug's Life. Was that a boogie? Really? I don't know. Yeah. Alright, well... You, you know how white I am. Do, do I look like an expert on boogie? <laughs> oh, right, like I'm less white than you. You have rhythm! Alright, fine. Yeah. Is this getting racist? No. Okay. <laughs> Just checking. I have to check a lot because we're watching Melody Time and that's going to come up. God, yeah. Speaking of which, Johnny Appleseed. All right. Now here's some meat and potatoes that I can dig into. (laughs) I, man, I find Disney's Americana Bona very tedious. (laughs) I'm not into this at the best of times. I know you'd probably feel different about it if it was your heritage, but mm. (laughs) It is a great example of Disney and its part in American myth-making in that there is a vision Americans have of their own history that incorporates this version of Johnny Appleseed. It is very interesting to me that several times, and we're going to see this come up in the future again, uh, Disney will assert that this is like a myth, Mm. that, that, you know, the details are faded into obscurity, so here's the real version. Like, he was really proactively trying to assert a new version of the myth. Uh-huh. And uh, and this is definitely no exception. And it gets real difficult in this case to assert the myth. Because what they're saying is kind of bullshit. Yeah, because Johnny Appleseed was a real person who really existed mm. and has a real birthplace and a real death place and real court records. Ooh, don't like that. Yeah, and his church really existed and we have a whole bunch of records about that too. Oh boy. Yeah. So... The intro produces a list of characters that includes Paul Bunyan and John Henry and Davy Crockett. And, okay, so Davy Crockett existed. Yeah, Davy Crockett was the first one that made me raise my eyebrows. <laughs> Ooh, this is getting controversial. Yeah, yeah. D- Davy Crockett, uh, probably not as good a guy as Americans like to think. Uh, so Paul Bunyan's not real. Paul Bunyan, Paul, it's not real, no. Because I've heard that name. <laughs> yeah, Paul Bunyan well, is- I don't know him. Just make up cultural heroes, have you not noticed? Uh, so, uh, Johnny Appleseed. Johnny Appleseed was a real dude. His name was John Chapman. Um, he was a Christian missionary who traveled uh, America planting saplings. Not scattering apple seeds, but actually, like, little bundled saplings. And what he would do is he would go to a new location... He would get some unclaimed land, he would plant a bunch of saplings, then he'd build a fence around it to protect it from animals, and then he'd, like, tell the neighbor what of, of that land what to do with them, and he would just come back every couple of years and harvest off those and add tending to them. Well, I think a wrong talent. The animals <laughs> stayed away because they knew he was their bestest friend, Everest. So- Because he liked God. So this is actually based on something real. Um, not Not quite to that extent, but- Johnny Appleseed was, towards the later half of his life, he was vegetarian. He was extremely um, pacifistic in his attitude towards animals. Huh! Um, famously, when, when sitting with a journalist, he noticed flies were flying into his campfire and dying. 
So he put out the campfire while he was talking to the journalist because he didn't want even something that he had made for his warmth to to be the end of one of God's creatures. I mean, I guess I have to give him points for the principle. Mosquitoes, maybe. Anyway. um, Some kind of weird bug we don't have here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the other, and like a lot of the stories about his lifespan, if they are told of something he did when he was separate from other people, it's probably just flat out false because the nature of the guy was one that people would make up stories about him. And if they, if it was like, well, while in this location in front of this pastor, this thing happened, that probably happened. But if it's, well, one time while out in the woods, he, like, patted a skunk and it became his best friend, that's a bit more dubious. You can't really source that well. Like this, in front of my pastor? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Accents are fun. He, um... <laughs> so, so, like, one of the recurrent myths about Johnny Appleseed was his range of pets, which included a baby bear and a wolf that followed him around. But... I found no instances of someone contemporary writing about that. Oh, I see. So that indicates that's almost certainly mythic. Whereas we know that there was a incident, because it was reported in a couple of newspapers, where um, a pastor was railing against the excesses of the pioneers of the day, because now you've established yourselves, you're all buying stuff and comforts and luxuries, and where amongst you is the uh, rough and coarse Christian who goes about barefoot and does God's work. And Johnny Appleseed, who was in the congregation at that point, barefoot, because he was usually barefoot, wanders up and sticks his foot on the pastor's uh, pulpit and says, here I am. And the pastor was so very upset by this very primitive rendition of send feet that he closed the church for the day. (laughs) And like that probably happened. Uh, Well, now I kind of like him. Well, let's... Tell me about the crimes. (laughs) Okay, so I'm guessing he didn't, uh, you know, happily bring together uh, Native Americans with pioneers over apple fritters. No, he converted a bunch of Native Americans to his particular variety of Christianity. That's kind of more what I was expecting. And white sources say that they respected him greatly and believed him to be blessed by the Great Spirit. And that sounds like bullshit. Like, Native American religious tradition is such that I don't think if you refer to the Great Spirit, you're talking about any large grouping. That sounds like... It's, it's all far too complicated. Native I feel American. like that sounds like something you might translate something a Native American person told you into something that harmonizes with your idea of God. Yeah, exactly. It, it feels like harmonized Christianity. It feels like a filter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so no strong knowledge there, but we do have, okay, so so there is some stuff we could talk about how Johnny Appleseed sucks, because there's always some stuff about how he sucks. Let's talk about that then. Okay, so he was terrible at making apples. Well, hang on, you did say he was planting saplings, which- Yes. That kind of blew me away, because in the early, when he's tending the orchard at the beginning, they had him obviously transplanting saplings, which is no, how no, no. you do apples. Eh, 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 eh. No. No? No. Okay. No. You don't transplant saplings to grow apples. You graft cuttings to grow apples. If you take a sapling and plant it so it grows its own root system, it will suddenly do the mutation thing. So here's where we get to fun apple biology. uh, Okay, no, no, okay. Saplings from cuttings was my assumption, because you can't graft onto nothing. You have to have a tree to begin with. Yeah, no. Sorry. (laughs) Yes, no. Behold, the Australianisms. Yeah, I knew what you meant. Yeah. 
so he was doing that. He was getting like little trees and planting them, not scattering seeds. Yeah. And he was growing those saplings in other groves mm-hmm. from those trees, but they were growing from like whole cores. Oh, okay. So he was still making useless trees. Yes, because, and this is where we get into fun apple biology facts, apples hypermutate. Apples don't like you very much, and apples are just waiting for the chance to turn into something horrible that you can't eat. This is this is true, by the way, of a ton of different fruits and vegetables that you might be used to. It's less common with vegetables. Vegetables, like where we're yeah. eating the, the leafy stuff, that stuff tends to be fairly consistently made from plant to plant. But with apples, um, avocados do it as well. These, the fruit of a tree are, in in a lot of ways, very random from the perspective of the tree. It It's the thing it cares about the least. As long as it's sugary, that will usually be enough to get any given animal to come and eat it. It's humans who are picky. So when you take an apple of any variety and you plant the seed of that apple, there is almost no chance that that seed will grow into a tree that could grow the apple it came from. Right. Or specifically an apple that humans might enjoy. Yeah, there's the other thing. Like, for every given variety of apple you like, there are thousands and thousands of unnamed apples that we lump together in the category of crab apples in the United States. I don't actually know if we have a specific word for them here in Australia. We call them crab apples. Okay, yeah. My grandmother used to make crab apple jam, which is to say... If you pour a shitload of sugar on oh. your crab apples, they taste okay for marmalade. Yeah, the, the crab apple is, in a lot of ways, the cranberry <laughs> of the tree. So, basically, crab apples are the predominant type of apple in the world. Any given apple seed is almost certainly going to be a crab. To the point where you might as well just, you know, treat all apple seeds as crab apple seeds. Now, as it turns out, in part because of his religion, which were the Swedenborgian Christians... Swedenborgian? Swedenborgian. Okay. Sorry, Swedenborgian. 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 Right. The Swedenborgian Christians have a whole bunch of different beliefs about damaging God's property, and that meant that Johnny Appleseed did not believe in grafting. Oh, cool. So he was also shit at apples. That bit at the beginning of the story was like, gosh, gee, golly, the only thing I know is apples. Yeah, well, as as it turns out, he actually did know apples really well. He was working uh, after having apprenticed to an orchard manager. And he was working in an apple orchard where all the apple trees had been properly grafted and were good. And then he made a whole bunch of saplings and went pioneering and planted just a terrible pox of shitty (laughs) apple trees. But don't worry, there is something you can do with crab apples. Sure is. You can make cider out of them. You can make jet, wait. Yeah. Yeah. So this bloke, who didn't believe in alcohol and wanted to (laughs) preach against the sins of excess... Spent the entirety of his life getting America fucking hammered. But that's not all he did for our livers, he says, as if he was in America. Uh, Anyway, uh, because he also brought with him a plant that he believed had great herbal properties that he distributed and planted everywhere he went as well. It's going to be tobacco, isn't it? No. No? No. If you're an American, you might know this plant as dog fennel. It's a native plant to parts of America, but... Its spread is literally chartered to Johnny Appleseed's uh, uh, life travel. He was a firm believer in the idea that chewing on uh, dog fennel would, you know, cure diseases. And he recommended it to people. He administered it to people. Um, Okay. So it's poisonous. Okay. And uh, it causes liver shutdown. Oh, cool. I mean, most poisons do. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's just the thing they generally have in common. Yep. They don't get you some other way. Um, he thought it was a medicinal herb, and he is responsible for it being spread entirely across the United States, where it now is an absolute plague on the highway system. Great. Cool. <laughs> nice job, Johnny. Finally, as far as, like, you know, things about Johnny Appleseed that sucked, he was the rich. He was the rich? Yes, because when he planted trees on a place, he was like, yep, that's mine now. And so when he died... He left an estate of 1,200 acres of valuable nurseries to his sister. He owned four plots in Indiana, including a nursery in Milan with 15,000 trees on it, two plots in Ohio, and he had the southwest quarter of Section 26 Mohican Township in Ohio, which is to say a township that was taken from some people Mm. who... uh, I recognize that word. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But don't worry, he wasn't quite that rich. Because he misplaced the deed and therefore was not considered the owner of the Mohican Township territory. He had plots and plots of land when he died. So this this whole thing where he just drifted through the countryside, seeding beautiful food for everyone wherever he went, was more of a claiming land wherever he went. Yeah. And expecting other people to take care of it yeah. while he was away. Yeah. He would plant apples near your property, tell you how to take care of them, and then would come back two years later to harvest them and make money off it. And he was making bank off this. Mm, what a dickhole. Yeah, absolute, absolutely right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. He was a dickhole. Uh, like, very well-meaning, very well-intentioned, and uh, by the tenets of his faith. Like, usually when it comes to sectarian discussions between Christians... I'm very firmly in the let the shithead cut the fuckwit kind of <laughs> argument. Like, I think that they're all really stupid. Um, but the Swedenborgians were, um, they were super weird. Uh, and they were weird in ways that, like, if I tell this to you, Fox, even as someone with a religious upbringing, you're probably not going to go, oh, that's a big deal. But for example, they didn't believe in the Trinity. I mean, that's not a big deal. Mm. They also believed that Islam mm. was a clever divine revelation to wean the Arabics off of idolatry. Mm. Yeah. Um, the Swedenborgians are still around <coughs> in like a tiny amount, but uh, yeah. That's a, well, it's an attempt at acceptance. A lot of- I, They're trying, I guess. A lot of churches generally advised against letting people read the Swedenborgian texts <laughs> because- uh, they were, by the sense of the Christian culture at the time, messed up. Well, yeah. Look, if you were a Methodist, odds are super good you line up with Johnny Appleseed on most stuff until you get to discussing metaphysics, and that's when things get weird. And I don't care about metaphysics. Yeah. That's the part where you can believe whatever bullshit you want. Yeah. The big thing that they had was that they worshipped Jesus. They didn't worship God. They didn't believe there was God. They believed in Jesus, who was the creation, and... There's other stuff that permeates from that. Yeah. But no Trinity and no Godhead. That's so, kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, but the results is this guy was like a turbo Protestant. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus has better character references, I'll say that. <laughs> uh, Anyhow, yeah. my only real note of note on this was, was uh, you know, that skunk. It's a good thing all animals are dogs. Yeah. As we learned previously. <laughs> it was another example of uh, all animals are dogs. Uh, I mean, the the story ironically refers to as a cat, of course. So it's not like we're bringing this comparison out of nothing. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Even cats are dogs when cats are slightly too challenging. Yep. (laughs) So yeah, there you go. There's your history lesson on Johnny Appleseed and how fucked up it is that Disney created a mythology around a guy who was already created by a mythology. 
I was also really concerned that we were going to see the... It's nice to know that the animals literally being animals is part of this mythology, because I was concerned the animals were standing in for native people. Didn't know whether or not to trust him at first, but then decided he was a-okay because he brought God. And he didn't shoot them immediately. But uh, it's, I'm, I'm very glad to know that probably wasn't the intended metaphor. No. Just a super weird dude who walked everywhere and, and in the great tradition of white guys pointed at a location and went, Mine now. <laughs> and gave left garbage, fruit for all. Little toot. Little toot. That's uh, that's almost mean to make fun of it, isn't it? Yeah, like it's a <laughs> it's a low hanging fruit, <laughs> like a shit apple. <laughs> I mean, if you produce a shit apple, then it was probably a big toot. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I so entertained by me being juvenile? Because in the primal heart of all hearts, you know full well you are a theatre kid and audiences make you happy. <laughs> I have an audience yet. This isn't even released. <laughs> oh, you. Okay. Yeah, I guess you count. <laughs> well, you're always here. Yeah, and you're always like this. <laughs> oh, no. So, little toot. Maybe perhaps don't bring your child to your workplace. Well, not when it's dangerous. Yeah. And when you haven't taught the child how to interact with it properly. Yeah. It's, um, you know, just as long as we understand that the appropriate response to a child making a mistake that endangers other people's lives is to exile that yep. child. Fucking onto the ice floe and out into the <laughs> wild. What's the shit? Oh. Should we summarize this one since it does actually have kind of a plot? Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't really requesting that I do it. Do you well, I can't do it. Do it. Okay, well, the, the plot, such as it is, of this song is that there is a little tugboat who admires his father, but we are told he can't take anything seriously and only wants to play around uh, until there, uh, a cop boat goes past him one day and he decides to mend his ways. That was a weird moment, wasn't it? He didn't even get in trouble. All cop boats are bastards. I, and he knew that, clearly. He was instinctively afraid. Uh, anyway, so then he decides to help, and he causes an accident when he tries to help because nobody has taught him how to do this task he's apparently supposed to be doing for his fucking job. Yeah. Uh, so then they kick him out, but it's okay because he finds a boat that's stranded, and if he hadn't been there, they all would have died. So he's redeemed now. Also, his father gets demoted to a garbage skull when he gets exiled because... <laughs> Well, okay, actually, no, maybe that is Dad's fault, because somebody was supposed to teach this child how to act. Um, Clearly, I blame the parents. My only real note about this piece is that this continues the strange Disney asses sub-theme <laughs> that the bundle of movies have got going on, because there is a point where a boat very clearly sticks its ass into the camera. They do it several times. Yeah. I, I think they were sort of intended to be, like, turning up their tails at each other, like, a, like you know... You would turn up your nose, except if you're facing someone from the other direction, you might, I don't know, turn up your ass if you're a boat. Yeah. It's its a weird action mm -hmm. to animate. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything in particular to add aside from that either. Um, oh, I did enjoy the demonic boys. 
Yeah. When he's exiled and there's a storm and they, they all turn into evil faces and have these grasping talons of water and Yeah, yeah that's kinda cool. And, and like the ocean like literally grows hands and slaps yeah. him around oh, yeah, several totally. points. Yeah. This is a very punitive vision of justice. It's a metaphorical ocean. Yeah. It's uh, it's rich with symbology. <laughs> <laughs> Next up we have trees. You had a reaction to this, Talon. Why don't you explain your uh Okay. I think I heard your teeth grinding from across the room. All right, so I do not think that this poem is above silly or or, or different interpretations because the very first time I ever encountered this poem, it was on the Muppets. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sam the American Eagle wishes to introduce some culture, and he has uh, a pair of uh, a pair coming to sing trees. Because not only are they fabulous people, they're also churchgoers. And then as they're singing, they get to the first bar and a tree falls on them and the segment ends. <laughs> All right. So I had that I first see. line of the song. I had the first line of the poem stuck in my head for a long time as a child. And I thought it was very funny. <laughs> and then I found the actual poem. I see. And, and in, like, in case it was unclear on the video, it's, I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree. A tree whose hungry mouth is pressed against the earth's sweet flowing breast. A tree that looks at God all day and lifts her leafy arms to pray. A tree that may in summer wear a nest of robins in her hair, upon whose bosom snow has lain, who intimately lives with rain. Poems are made by fools like me, but only God can make a tree. And like that- That's pretty good. That fucking hits pretty hard, especially growing up as a Christian kid. Not a big fan of religion, obviously, but but if we accept the starting position. Yeah, I'm not wild about- Hungry mouth pressed to earth's flowing. That was the bit I was going to object to. Yeah, Yeah, it's gross. Yeah, but like the actual principle of I am a poet. My job is to make beautiful things, and in my backyard there is something that makes me feel like I am worthless (laughs) at it. Like that hits some real hard notes, especially for the Protestant guilt-based mindset. To be clear, uh, it's not gross. Breastfeeding is normal and natural and not disgusting, and it's not anyone else's fault that I am squicked the fuck out by it. (laughs) Moving on. But yeah, um, and I just think that this version of it is turgid and it loses the beautiful simplicity of the poem. I could make out, uh, like, maybe one of the stanzas cleanly. It, the vocal style does kind of obscure any individual words a lot of the time. I feel that if you don't know the poem, you don't. Like, yeah. listening to that poem, you wouldn't think that this should be a performance that is all gussied up and choral and with maybe lots of backing, because the whole point of the poem is... My poems are inadequate compared to the beauty of nature. So working really hard on the poem presentation is a little odd, right? I suppose you could uh, give some credit to the idea of the words being completely lost in the dramatization of it, which turns into uh, natural effects. Like they, they bring back the, the Bambi thing. Yeah. Where they have voices being rain and wind and instruments being thunder and all that kind of thing. And, you know, that's part of why you can't make out a lot of the poem. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I guess that sort of achieves the same effect. But I do agree that like a wailing chorus was maybe not the right way to deliver any of this. I guess my complicated feelings are I don't think people should feel discouraged from doing versions of trees. But I think this was a shitty version. Wasn't great. It did look lovely. But, yeah, um, actually, good point. Yes, I was. I was severely. I was so put off by the audio that I didn't really bother to process the visuals. But yeah, you're right. It's very beautiful. 
It, yeah, it's, uh, but like, the direction, I agree, is is weird. Though the irony of um, the poem is, uh, like, I can make poems, I can't make a tree, and the animation is like, no, we can make a tree. <laughs> <laughs> I am an animator, I spit in the face of God. <laughs> look, trunk, leafy bits, boom, boom. Oh, you think that's you... what a human should look like? I can do so much better than that. <laughs> you want snow? You want rain? You want, you want robbers? Boom, 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 got it all. Like, it is a little funny. <laughs> oh, there's something delightful in that. <laughs> I'm going to keep this in my heart. Yep, animators spit in the face of God. <laughs> Realism is for weenuses. Uh, what have we got? Oh, blame it on the samba. So look, I think that while it's reasonable to attribute some blame to the samba, there is also not an inconsiderable quantity of stuff that needs to be attributed to both good dimes, moonlight, and sunshine. Oh, okay. Um, well, that, that makes things awkward, Talon, because I was just going to blame it on the boogie. Whew. I mean, the boogie's already appeared in this film. It's been implicated. Yeah. It was at the scene of the crime. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. All right. That's, that's about as much as we can wring out of that joke. <laughs> Trust me, listeners who are contemporary to this movie, in 40 years, this is going to be hilarious. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> blah, 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 blah. It'll be funny when I'm an old man. <laughs> Stop it, Tyler. Um, I will say, on a pure animation note, the work put into Jose's cigar smoke is fucking heroic. <laughs> oh, I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, it's like really detailed. It doesn't repeat loops. It follows the arc. <laughs> it splits and divides appropriately. It wavers away from the cigar tip as he does it, which is what like a hot sauce makes the smoke do. So like, like, Someone really put in the work on that cigar smoke. <laughs> well, the Disney animators are probably intimately familiar with tobacco smoke and its <laughs> intriguing movements. Get back to work. They might be. Uh, also, the organist, because this came up during uh, Three Caballeros and whatnot, as far as, you know, hey, where's this organist from? Uh, this organist is Ethel Smith. She's from Pennsylvania. Right. Okay. Yeah. She... <laughs> I was trying not to jump to conclusions, but she does look like a bit of an Ethel Smith, is all I'm saying. Ethel Ethel Goldsmith technically changed her name for reasons of no particular significance. Shut up, don't ask. I see. Okay. Yeah, but, uh, hmm. All right, well, she can go over there and sit with Benny Goodman, where I'm not going to give her shit for anything now. Yep. It's 1948. It's 1948. <laughs> uh, I, I do, I find it funny that they just, you know, they got three cab by arrows in my jukebox musical. But uh, Panchito was not invited this time. The ghost of Panchito! Did he try to bring his guns on the plane? <laughs> which which is especially wild because, okay, you have samba rhythm. All right, you want to introduce that. So you're looking at something from the northern part of, La- uh, uh, of South America. So, you know, Brazil has samba. So, you know, why was it not Panchito and Donald who were feeling down and Jose, oh, Jose bucks them up. But no, we bring in the shithead bird. Well, that's pretty much how we meet Jose in, in uh, Saludos Amigos, remember? Yeah. Donald's all like, Meh, and Jose's like, ah, I will bring you the mysterious rhythm of the samba. Yeah. And, but yeah, instead, this is just like Donald and Jose go on a date and the asshole bird makes them dance. And into drinks. Yeah, this is another, you know, not as abs- surreal. Mm. Uh, uh you know, musical blending of weird cartoon shit. There's a lot of Warner Brothers cartoon shit going on in this one. Yeah. It's full on old style slapstick. And and honestly, the three caballeros, as a hindsight, I'm actually kinda of fond of those three. Like I would like to hear a good version of that song. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like 
them to not be kind of buttholes to each other throughout. Yeah. Which the new DuckTales rendition doesn't solve either. No. No. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I like them. And I don't hate this. It's not very interesting. Um, I... <clears throat> I wasn't aware that the organ was the instrument most closely associated with the samba. I don't think that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We best ask Apple. <laughs> anyway. Now you're going to stop doing it and it'll be less fun. Ah, I've ruined a beautiful thing. Least expect. <laughs> You'll never get away with it. Do you have any more for... Um... No, I don't. <laughs> Which means we now come to the longest segment of morality terms. Uh, <laughs> that's why they call it a morality play. Um, we come up to Pecos Bill. Oh my god, this one. Yeah, this is... You remember when I said the most dire of the stuff in the combo musicals? Oh boy, is this the most dire thing they've made. This is... So, some historical context I suspect you're lacking. Uh, this is Rogue Rogers. Who? Yeah, so Roy Rogers is the cowboy actor for the period. He was the guy that John Wayne wanted to be. Roy Rogers was in like a hundred different cowboy movies back ah. when they were good, honest, forgive the term, engine fighting kind of mm -hmm. movies. Were they all as bad as this? Uh, he was also, like, have you ever heard of uh, uh, The Smartest Horse in Hollywood? Trigger. Yeah. That horse in that movie that the guy is talking to is Trigger. Oh, okay. I thought it's just that all cowboys had horses called Trigger because I've seen so fucking many of them. Well, lots of horses got named Trigger <laughs> after Roy Rogers went on stage right, and did... yeah. This is like people naming their dogs Lassie. Yeah, animal tricks with Trigger. And, like, Trigger was an extraordinarily well-trained horse. Um, it was also a certain degree of magic trick, so this is why I know so much about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, yeah, like they could get Trigger to do math and stuff on stage. And, like, oh, that's cool. Um... The, the whole live action section is weird and awkward. Like, it, it's not out of type for Disney. It's just out of type for Disney now. Certainly Disney animated movies. I was going to say, it's out of type for Disney animated features. And this will be the fucking last of it we see. For yeah. a good long time. And these, these are TV stars. These are movie stars and TV stars and variety show stars. And like, oh, these people. Oh, like, uh, like, I think in that sequence, four of those things on that set have stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And Christ. one of them's the horse. One of them's Trigger, isn't it? Yeah. God damn it, Trigger. What wild is that they didn't bring Bullet, who was his German was shepherd. was dog? Damn. And his German shepherd was extremely well trained. I did not bring the fucking dog. I bet the dog could ride the horse. Um, I couldn't quote you on that. I, like, I have memories of those pictures, but, you know, memories are fuzzy and weird. Uh, but yeah, so, so, like, this is effectively, we are, we're gonna have, like, Tom Cruise come in and introduce, um, some cartoons as Tom Cruise, and that's weird. Yeah. Um, and- Well, they would never do that. They would never just get actors to come in and introduce segments on one of these package musicals. <laughs> that's ridiculous, Talon. Um, also, while we're still talking about the live action segment, um, these kids, one of them is Luana Patton. Uh, she was the little girl in Fun and Fancy Free. I thought she looked familiar. Um, she kept having a career in Hollywood and Disney stuff until she passed away at the age of 57. Um, Oof, it's a bit young. Uh, well, the other one is a guy by the name of Bobby Driscoll, and we will talk more about him. I feel in like I recognize that name. Yeah. We'll talk more about him in Peter Pan, because he's the voice of Peter Pan. Oh, fun. And his story sucks. Oh, boy. 
So. All right. Well, I I was going to say they're both atrocious, but they're both doing exactly what they're being told to do. So I don't hold it against either yep. of them. The, the kid actors are terrible, but the kid actors are terrible in the way that they are being told to be terrible. Yeah, all kid actors are terrible in this era because they're like, I'm performing a twee little child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, lots of, lots of big affect. Also, like, we haven't nailed down movie performances at this point, so mm. there's still a whole bunch of panto affect. And well, we- this whole thing was, sorry, this whole scene is shot like a stage presentation. It, like, it's almost only on a soundstage for starters. But. Yeah, and... You have, you know, when you have adults and we're like, well, to act well, it's a panto affect. All right, child, do what we just did. This is not a good scene. Yeah, it's a whole lot of, golly gee, mister, why does a thing do a thing? Oh, girls. Fucking incel child. Uh, Looking at my notes, I actually realized, embarrassingly, I did have a note, which is just, that's Trigger. Like, I recognize it. (laughs) That's cute. Don't be ashamed of that. (sighs) All right. So, that is the least offensive horse in this cartoon. <laughs> yeah. So now we get to talk about Texas saying, well, we like the story of Romulus and Remus, but what if it was worse? <laughs> I uh, I enjoy the introduction of the period as a, a bunch of heroic pioneers going west looking for, and I want you to imagine this in spaced out letters in a tweet, elbow room. <laughs> this is... An extremely Texas story, because what we're presented with here is the narrative of how literally everything in Texas was waiting around for a white guy to come along and do it better than they were. And that includes the animals. Yeah, the same nasty-ass man's utter dominance of nature kind of story. Yeah. Like, who would have guessed that just by virtue of being a human who wound up living with all these animals, you'd be better at animaling than every animal. Yeah, and that, that's the, that is like the fundamental white colonialist perspective. That's, that's why Tarzan is the king of the jungle, because yeah. he's secretly noble. Like, it's the same story. Um, gross. And, like, the character you get out of it is an utter shithead. He is atrocious. Just the worst kind of shitlord. His primary way of interacting with the world is shooting things. He breaks things for fun. He breaks the stars for fun. And then he's like, oh, I'll leave one for Texas. He does. He fucking shoots the stars because he's bored one night. Yeah. He, um, I, I, I enjoyed the, uh, Raised by Wolves. And then, you know, when he grew up, he, uh, chose a profession to befit him and his horse. Like, of course, you know, doesn't matter if you're raised by wolves. Once you become a grown-ass man, you realize you need a career. Yeah. Clothes. <laughs> and to, like, put ropes on your horse and shit. Yep. <laughs> this shit is creepy. Bear in mind, there were a lot of people who rode horses without some of those things at that point in time. But, you know, they weren't white men. I'm sure they're not important to this story. Yep. Uh, I will note, um, Talon, I don't suppose you remember a new story of recent years where a certain imbecile suggested... Uh, using weapons to dissuade natural weather phenomenon. Yep. <laughs> they literally, yep, yep. Nuking a storm was, I believe, the idea. Yes. And you'll notice that this fellow shot the cyclone to cut it down to size with his revolvers. Yep. That's... That is a thing he did. Yeah. Well, every time there's a major storm warning across uh, across the coast of America, apparently the, the, the weather group i can't remember the term for it the meteorology department have to release a statement saying please don't shoot at the storm fucking christ what the shit is wrong with people Mm. i'm so mad 
<laughs> oh, wait. And then there's the next bit after the cyclone. Uh-huh. My notes just say in all caps, OH DEAR! I have painted desert. Yikes, 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 yikes. Yikes, 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 yikes. This is the new wallpaper behind the yikes door. Wow. Just a, a five second aside of our hero uh, interrupting gross racist caricatures of Native Americans, quote unquote, doing a war dance. Uh-huh, putting on their makeup. Uh, well, he, he chased them right out of their makeup. Yeah. Mm. And that's why there's a painted desert in Texas. This is the most disgusting thing I have seen in any of these old Disney movies. Like, this is definitely a new low. There is not competition for me. In fact, like, the undercoring base assumption to this is also, you might notice how the whole thing is, like, there is an origin story for all of these things in Texas, and it has to originate after a white man arrived to do it. Oh, yeah, of course. He made the Rio Grande, the Gulf of Mexico, Mm -hmm. he made the Painted Desert, and he's why there's gold in the hills. And all of those things could not have happened before Pecos Bill, a white guy, was here to make it happen. Yes. And you might go, well, it's a silly story. No one really believes that those are the origins of it. But the fact that the story can be phrased that way, and no one goes, well, that's really dumb. The gold was here when we got here. That means that the basic assumptions of the worldview of the people this story is for and by is one where stories start when we get here. Yeah, it's not that anyone would think it's real. It's that this is the kind of thing people would find desirable as entertainment. Yeah. A story about how they had to come in and make things good. Speaking about the... That's the other thing, like the vision of America as a thing that was made, which is in a lot of ways just teetering on the edge of an insight. (laughs) Because... So close to the awakening. There's so much stuff in America that's really cool that was made. It's just it wasn't made by white people. So when they arrived, it's like, oh, man, check out these, like, highways through the forest. Isn't it weird that these exist in a place where no one has carts? I I bet God put them here for us. Yeah, God must have selected this land to be this way so that we could conquer it easily without guns. Sounds right. Um, Similarly, when you talk about, like, how the world looks to these people, when Slewfoot Sue first shows up riding a catfish side note she seems awesome but yeah she's kind of great yeah like she deserves to be in a better story um and i hope she's on the moon having adventures beating up aliens which old on the moon which which right there by the way that right there that thought that's pretty colonialist like i'm gonna go to a different place and beat up the people who are already there but let's just assume that the aliens in question are nazis anyway so oh i was (laughs) the point is that when she arrives into the story it asserts Fate was dealing off the bottom of the deck. The presence of this woman is phrased as unfairness to Pecos Bill. Is it? Oh, yes, right. Well, they do frame it as, like, they tell you she is his downfall. As yeah. if that's her fucking fault. And sh- and she's not, as well. No, she's not his fucking downfall. The fact that his horse is a murderous asshole is, uh, is his downfall. Yeah. They also, uh, I-, I don't know if I heard it correctly, but, uh... By by everything I heard, it sure sounded like they introduced her and described her as the most female woman. Yep. What the fuck story? <laughs> what the actual shit? I was almost expecting them to have gone for the full length of things with Pecos Bill and have him inventing women. Because he invented courting. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, but I, I gotta say, I almost appreciated that because at least... 
she was into him. Yeah. Which puts this a cut above almost every other relationship we've seen at this point. And that's not a good track record. It's yeah. almost. No, you you're know, right. It's not the only one, but like... The girl bear in Bongo was actually into him. Yes, yes, we'll give that. She's also like the most proactive woman we've seen in any of this stuff who isn't like the evil queen from Snow White. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Fuck you, skeleton. Fuck that guy in particular. Uh, the only other note I have for Pecos Bill is, behold, once again, Disney ass media. <laughs> I I mean, I gotta admit, I love the, the giant twangy ass slap. <laughs> Sue is a better character than this story, you're quite right. Yeah, but also, her butt was her demise. <laughs> well, no, her desire for uh, artificial beauty aids was her demise. <laughs> Just kidding. Her fiance's incel asshole horse friend was her demise. Fuck that guy. Murdered by a horse. Alright. Anything else? No, because that's where they choose to close this movie, isn't it? Yeah. Are we going to see one of these end without the main character dying? <sighs> These are just terribly told stories. They're not very good stories. They don't have good development. They're just filling the screen well, for half yeah. an hour. Okay, and they are comedy shorts, so we shouldn't be expecting them to be great stories. This is 25 minutes and it had a budget bigger than any given episode of Mission Top Secret. And I bet <laughs> Mission Top Secret is better written. I don't know what Mission Top Secret Don't worry, that's one for all of the people like me in the audience, which is to say, it's for nobody. Okay, cool. <laughs> anyway, I... Like I said, I'm I'm willing to cut them slack for not being great stories, but, you know, I just don't necessarily agree that people dying is as hilarious as, as <laughs> vintage Disney seems to think. Yeah. All right. Well, we've gone through it. Do you want to hear about box office take? Yeah. Uh, let's cruise past this one. I assume it's going to be quite similar to uh, Make My Music. Markedly less. Uh, oh. The budget for this one was $1.5 and it box office took $2.5 Oh. Did they not do the, uh, you know, bundle it up as... Uh, they did. Show? They did again, just didn't fly the same way. Interesting. Yeah. Just didn't make as much money. Which, you know, good. It's not as good. It is worse, yeah. Yeah. And I think at this point, I do think, in all seriousness, I think that this is probably the worst one of these we've seen so far. Oh, this is the worst one. Um, yeah. Like, there's just a lot of really hateable stuff. There's a lot of overt racism. We got the... You know, whoopsie doodle, we did a racism back in the day uh, warning at the start. Which, honestly, it's pretty well written. Like, you know, it's not okay then and, it, and it's yeah, okay no. now kind it's of thing. It's as good as these things get. Yeah, but also it's Disney, so I don't know. Give the people in question a couple of million dollars just to prove you mean it. Oh, right. We should expect them to do that. Yeah. Right. I think you're telling us as consumers to do that. I'm like, pardon? Which means we roll in as part of this not science fiction double feature. <laughs> Straight on into Ichabod Mr. Toad. and Mr. Toad. Will ride a creature. He will. He will. Holy crap. But yes, we have Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Two movies. I mean, a movie. It's yep. definitely one movie. Our fine feature film. Yeah. It's definitely a cohesive whole. Honest to God, this uh, one makes me angry. <laughs> Go on. Sorry, I just, I talked about that like the previous ones haven't made me angry, didn't I? <laughs> this makes me angry for the opposite reason. Because the Wind and the Willow stuff is fine? And I don't know why they didn't just make a Wind and the Willows movie. Well, yeah, that's an interesting thought because... Okay, so here's the here's once again one of those things about me. Uh, Wind and the Willows is probably my dad's favorite book. Uh, so growing up, I have seen so many versions of Wind and the Willows. I've read play directions for it. I was given a script 
for a play of Wind of the Willows as a kid. Ah, yes. There's nothing half so much doing worth doing in this world as mucking about with quotes. <laughs> that's really, really, like, that's proper top tier <laughs> funny. I may have heard from your dad a lot. <laughs> yeah, but, and of course the problem is it's mostly funny if you know the kind of way my dad approaches humour, which is to <laughs> say the same thing multiple times. Because yep. it was funny once. Hilarious. Anyway. Uh, so, like, I know a lot about Wind in the Willows, and I, I can definitely see why if you were economizing Wind in the Willows, this is definitely, like, the most interesting bit of Wind in the Willows. I just don't know why they were in the first place. Like, yeah, why? Wh- I, I assume this is something they wanted to do a full version of, and maybe they didn't have the money, or maybe the rights got squiffy, or... Like, I want there to be something, because otherwise I have to look at this and go, why didn't you just make the full movie? Yeah. They introduce this by, like, explaining who all the characters are and telling us yeah. how to feel about them. And, like, wouldn't it be great if we got to, like, meet them? And yeah. form our own feelings about them. The The book is reasonably well-structured. It oh. will get you the introduction. I guess, I guess the thing that you would miss out on is Badger being the uh manager of toad's estate that doesn't happen until the end of the book and you kind of need him there to do some setup stuff early on i get that but also it's it'd be an acceptable change from the book part of the point of the book is that like badger is basically a mythic figure for a large portion of it ah i see he doesn't he doesn't show up much like he's a shadow in the background a couple of times um he scares off some foxes and some weasels at one point and toad and um checks out and molly and ratty are like what the heck just happened and then they come back a couple of days later and they find badger footprints where they were and they're like oh that's what happened um so like it it is definitely a story that you could do a really good disney movie of there have been lots of different animated versions of of this it doesn't seem like a particularly hard adaptation but now and like what they made of this i enjoyed this this was good i will also say the british voices are done by british actors is that fucking Badger Scottish, though? Because that was a tremendously unconvincing Scottish accent. No, British, British actor. Right, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, as far as who well, they were... British non-Scottish, I assume you're saying. Oh, yes, sorry. Yes. Right. English. Yeah. Um, the actors, to give you names for most of them would be meaningless. But the actor who played Toad is basically a specialist in the Jeeves. Like, he was always playing unctuous butlers who knew everything and could take care of every problem so this is like full-on breaking typecast for him yes and just hamming it to the walls (laughs) ratty's voice actor is a guy by the absolutely perfect name basil rathbone i know that name you do because basil rathbone was the first actor to play sherlock holmes in media in, in movies um from 1939 to 1947 uh, and he tried to do other stuff, but it turns out that when you look like what everyone thinks Sherlock Holmes looks like, you kind of get typecast. Well, that's probably why Ratty kind of looks like Sherlock Holmes too. Yep. He came to America, he grew a pencil-thin mustache, which he dyed black, and played villain roles all the way through the 70s. You have probably seen a black and white shot of Basil Rathbone being a villain or you've seen an animated character that is very clearly <laughs> trying to look like Basil Rathbone. I, I was going to say, I think that's where I've seen him, actually, because I haven't seen a lot of live-action Sherlock Holmes. I've seen a lot of cartoon Sherlock Holmes. And by the way, as much as... as while we're Just while we're talking about Ratty looking like Sherlock Holmes, <laughs> I'm going to say, put a finger in that until about 19... 19- 
87, I think. <laughs> well, that's a core fault. Yeah. <laughs> Basic elements of the story here, the, the fundamental storytelling blocks here is that they are advocating for ensuring a rich shithead doesn't waste the money he doesn't deserve for his ancestral home that he didn't earn on things that might make him happy. I do have to say that I feel like the the goal of saving Toad Hall was a bit like, wait, what? I mean, I feel this is just natural selection, as it were. <laughs> Rich guy stu- too stupid to have money has no money anymore. All right, problem solved. Yeah. Uh, Toad is the guy who sucks in his circle of friends. Yeah. And he is a rich idiot. It is it is the entire point of his character. He is a massive tool. Um, The movie, like this animated movie actually like conveys some ideas that are like, you know, no, he got, he got unfairly done, which is great because in the books, no, he stole a car. Oh, right. <laughs> I always thought he stole the car. Yeah. And then in the prison, he was just like, oh, I'm very sorry. And I'll now escape. And I'm totally going to live my life right from now on. The, the whole battle of Toad Hall, which we'll get to that. But, like, in the book, <laughs> it's just chucking out squatters. <laughs> right, wow. So it, it is, in fact, then Rich Boy goes back to kick squatters out of his estate that he was too dumb to keep a hold of. I don't know if I'm on Toad's side, I gotta say. <laughs> Toad sucks. Toad does kind of suck. Toad, Toad, like... Well, the- I mean, I say that regretfully, but, like, the story obviously knows Toad sucks, so this is not, like... It's not like I've taken the wrong reading of the characters. No, I regret to inform you your protagonist is an arseface. But Toad sucks delightfully. We're meant to be like, ah, that Toad, what a whacker. But no, no, Toad just sucks. What a whacker. Yeah. I don't know what that is, but. <laughs> well, I guess 1960s Australian pub language is a bit too early for this audience. I'm sorry, did you mispronounce wanker? <laughs> That's 1990s Australian language. Oh, please. Wanker is timeless. Wanker is timeless. Yeah, um, beyond that, like, I don't actually have a lot here. I made a note at the time that I was tremendously disappointed they missed the chance to animate the Toad stealing the car. Because <laughs> that would have been hilarious. But, I, for an obvious reason, they didn't, because in this version, he clearly didn't. Uh, the newspaper actually also has, like, there's some really good sight gags in there. I, I did catch for real ale. Top hat. Yeah. I assume that's supposed to be like a brand. I think so. But I like the idea that it's just, that's my beer drinking hat. <laughs> yep. Uh, also, weirdly, victory cited in war against yellow fever. Oh boy. Now, that's a thing. <laughs> it is. That's not how I expected that headline to end once you started it, and I'm glad. But also, it sounds like that's a racist joke, right? Like, it sounds like someone in 1949 was like, ah. Yellow fever. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's a bit, at the risk of being incredibly coarse, it's a bit early for yellow peril, so... Oh, the yellow peril, it's timeless, Fox. It hadn't really taken the focus away from... Oh, wait, no, this is World War II, isn't it? Yeah. Shit, it had. Okay, sorry. (laughs) Never mind it. Also, I'm just not good at history. Yeah, and we got into I had the wrong war, I apologize. They're a bit confusing, they're not well-named. And in my case, sorry, <clears throat> and here in Australia, we got started on some good old yellow peril back in the 1880s. Oh, God, did we? Yeah, gold rush stuff. Anyway, ironically, that would be the right time for this uh, newspaper. When they break into the mansion and the weasels are all drunk and asleep. Yeah. Uh, there's a shot of one of them just sleeping in the painting as if the person in the painting has physical arms. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a shot from above later on, which shows one of them sleeping in the frame of a painting. And I'm like... 
Oh, I hope it wasn't that, because I love the idea that they just drew this weasel as if the painting was holding him. Yeah. That's a really good sight gag. Yeah. That's, that's the kind of bullshit I like to see in my animated films, because no one can point out and go, Ah, oh, this clearly implies thing. <laughs> no, that's just for fun, you dickhead. <laughs> so, uh, the... The uh, the incident in the book, which is known as the Battle of Toad Hall, um, it was not a stealth mission to recover a deed. <laughs> it is in fact noted in the book that Badger can carry the most weapons, and he goes in with two cudgels, two swords, and two loaded guns. <laughs> Listen, Badger's a Scotsman. <laughs> <laughs> they are here to fuck some weasels up. This is this is a murder fest. And I get why they couldn't do that in, in yeah. the Disney version. But I think what they came up with instead was kind of cool. Like, this was a really good, legitimately fun, uh, uh, you know, escape shenanigans sequence. Yeah, like, purity of the text aside, because who gives a shit? Like, the some of the ideas in this are genuinely properly great. I especially loved Toad making more paper airplanes and flinging them around. That was properly smart. That was a, I love that. That was a clever thing to do. There's some good shit in there. By the way, if it sounds like a lot of this is catching me by surprise, I should have mentioned at the top of this, this stands alone as the only Disney animated canon film that I had not watched in my many years of acquiring these mm. and uh, and checking them out. Even fucking Make Mine Music, which apparently is banished from the world. Yeah. Uh, uh, I had managed to find, but I had never seen this before, so this was a first. Oh, uh, also... Uh... This is uh, one of the first instances I remember of a Disney movie with just straight up slurs in it. Oh yeah, that's right. Was I was going to ask? Was that uh, original text from the book? Yeah. Like, was that just what they were called in England at the yeah. time? Yeah. Hmm. Oof. Yep. Well, I wouldn't mind if they overdubbed that. I'll just say. And and in the book, he does buy the cart off some travelers. Sure, sure. But I mean, would it have killed you to call it a caravan? Yes. <laughs> Oof. The word is right there. Yeah, we yeah we have a word for it. I don't know if the maybe the word didn't exist back then, but I feel like it's not that new. Anywho, uh, obviously the sensitivity did not exist back then, one oh. way or another. <laughs> oh, we have another instance of well, how did he do it? He just did um, storytelling where Toad's escape from prison. Oh yeah, he just whips out the window. Yeah, was there a window before? He he gets. I remember. I wasn't paying attention. The, the horse whispers in his ear, next shot is, he has already escaped from prison. <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe they just thought he would never go out the window because he seems so reasonable a, and compliant. In a dress. <laughs> in a dress. Uh, Disney ass animation. It absolutely was. <laughs> I mean, at least it was meant to imply something this time, but... <laughs> Wholesome criminal cross-dressing and all cops are bastards. All cops are kind of bastards. I love these are very British gangsters and very British cops. Did you notice? Yeah, they all had guns. <laughs> shooty shoot shoot bangs. Yeah, <laughs> just saying, Disney. So okay, there is one thing that really gets me about this, and I'm dying to ask you about it because I couldn't at the time. There was important Ichabod to watch, <laughs> but the bit of this that I remembered having seen was I thought after the escape from the tower. Because I remembered seeing Toad in a washerwoman costume. Yeah. But it wasn't in this movie. There's a really harrowing scene of Badger railing on Toad to repent. Yeah. And the other two are watching through a keyhole or something. And 
There's like this really dramatic collapse. He's he's doing it. He's repenting. Yes, that's because there is another animated version of Wind in the Willows where ah. the designs walk in the footprints, if not blueprints, <laughs> of the Disney design. Gotcha. Uh, it was British made. Um, I've watched it. I can't remember who made it. Um, I can't remember the studio that made it. But yeah, there's. And it's an actual mini series. There's like six episodes, and they're half an hour long. Yeah, it's um, it's I've only s- seen the most upsetting part. Yeah, it's of the same vintage as your Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Right, right. Yeah, they're probably like some Beeb stuff. Yeah, and it's much and like Wind of the Willows is an overtly Christian book, and this was an overtly Christian mini series. The Disney one kind of circles around it a little. It's not offensive about it at the very least. Yeah. Like they could have brought it up so many more times than they did, which was like twice. But in that version, the weasels, when they realize they're losing the Battle of Toad Hall, start a fire. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I remember a fire. Yeah. And so you get these silhouetted shots of like Toad sword fighting on a tabletop against weasels that are definitely getting stabbed and definitely falling (laughs) over um, as they try and save Toad Hall from the fire and- and they wind up sitting out on the steps as it rains. It's like the the moment where it all starts to rain and the fire goes out is the moment of salvation. Anyway, it's just... Anyway, interesting. Thank you for clearing that up because I was going into this and seeing where they actually entered the story. I was really cross because I was like, I remember that bit taking up ages. Is this going to be like five minutes of Toad shenanigans and then screaming at him about Christianity for like the last 20 minutes. In that version, a scene that I know stood out very strongly in my mind was uh, to fight the weasels, Mole dressed up as a lady again and did their washing and pretended to gossip with them about the forest folk who had come to fight them and described an army of moles and a navy of rats. And you had this like animated shots of like from the prow, a big boat, and, like dozens of ratties on the boat. Like this, this is, is all ringing very familiar. Yeah. yeah, and then and then when it's like and then after he's done drumming up Toad and Ratty and and Mole <laughs> and one badger, and he then goes and there is one badger <laughs> and and it's this beautifully animated almost trapdoor like sequence as the black shadow in the corner of the frame lifts up into the shape of the badger. You don't see anything, just red eyes and badger silhouette. <laughs> They did play down how badass badgers are and how rightfully all these animals should be terrified of them. Yeah. We- weasels don't mess with badgers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, a badger will... Well, I mean, they're not going to eat other big predators, but they're certainly going to see them off is the point. Like, yeah. even a fox isn't going to harass a badger too hard. The badger is the largest terrestrial ma- mammal on that island now. And they're really cranky. Yeah. <laughs> but when I say largest terrestrial mammal, understand, that includes wolfhounds. Ah, uh, well, I mean, we're obviously not talking height. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're talking bulk. <laughs> yeah, badgers, they're, they're big. This has been Nature Corner. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is odd to me that we got human-sized humans yeah. in this movie. Like, really tall! Which, like, it was cute. They did some fun uh, stuff with that. But then all the animals are scaled to the same like, height and whatnot, which, you know, once again, is just underselling the sheer terror of Badger in this world. And that's the thing in the book. Like, Ratty and Vol- Rat- Ratty and Mole go on a boat, and a kid mistakes it for a toy. Because Ratty and Mole are very, ratty very and small. Mole-sized. And And when they meet Badger, it's like they go into a cave and there's a fucking dragon in it. 
Well, not even rat-sized, because as we've previously discussed, Ratty is not a rat. No, he's he a, is water a water rat. Bowl, yes. Which was mistakenly called a water rat. Yep, and I have an article on my blog about this, which gets metal as hell. The point is, Ratty's small and nice. Yes. And round. Not as badass as a real rat. No. Alright. <laughs> Definitely not as badass as a badger. <laughs> alright, do we have more or are we just gonna fanboy about badgers? No, it's more? fine. I like badgers, alright? Badgers are great. I like anything that's kind of short and hairy and lives in the ground and has big old claws I'm, and is really cross with you for being there. I'm trying to remember if this is the British thing or the book or the script now. But I remember there's a sequence where Badger is described as getting a t- getting accosted by a trio of weasels who he sends off with a tock 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 on their heads. <laughs> uh-huh. That would be the cudgel, I assume. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yes. We can't put off talking about the next vastly less good half a movie forever. Yep. Which... And, and here we have again another strange coincidence in that this is a classic text that I do know. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, one that I barely know and almost entirely know through the Disney version. Yep. And the Disney version gets to imprint upon it a whole bunch of stuff that's anachronistic. Weird little segue for um for for the transition here. We're introduced to both of these by a narrator again. Fucking narrators. Uh, who who inquires of us as to uh, the greatest characters in uh, in English literature and then in American literature. And uh, I'm not saying I admire Toad. But Ichabod Crane is definitely a step down. <laughs> well, <laughs> so really fun thing there. Um, in Sleepy Hollow, Ichabod Crane sucks. Well, in this Sleepy Hollow, Ichabod Crane sucks. So he's worse. Worse in wow. the short story. Worse than a skeevy creep who fools women into giving him food. Well, he talks in the book, and. Uh, He's You're right, d- he would be worse if he spoke. Yeah, he's a dickhead. Um, he starts out really sympathetic, like the whole framing is meant to be at first of like, well, here's the story of Ichabod Crane, a scrawny school teacher who gets bullied and just likes food. And like the big tough studly man of the town is such a meanie to him and wants to force him into a physical confrontation. And Ichabod keeps weaseling out of it through cleverness. And like, that's actually framed steadily as you go on a worse and worse thing. Because you find out that Ichabod Crane really is like preparing to marry this girl, get rich, and then immediately send rude letters to every child he taught. Of like, you know, see ya suckers! (laughs) What a piece of shit. What a petty motherfucker. Which, don't get me wrong, I know teachers. That's a mood. But it doesn't make you sympathetic. (laughs) No, and... To be fair, I think this sort of goes that way as well. Like, when he first shows up, you're like, okay, he's like, ugly Gladstone Gander, I get it. He's he's weird, uh, but compelling, and he seems to just actually be nice to people, and that's why they like him. Yep. Which is not a bad pitch. Like, I like the idea that the women of this village are like, oh, hey, this guy's not a total cock every time we go near him. Yeah. We, we actually enjoy spending time with him. He can dance and share our interests and make art. He, he, you know, was polite to me when I met him on the street instead of, you know, making a fart joke and whistling at my ass. And boy, asses once again are gonna come up. There will be some asses. Not much waste, though, I've noticed. Yep. The... The uh, other big odiousness of him in this is the spare the rod, spoil the child bit. Like yep. I was almost like, cool for a second there, because it was like, uh, they made a joke. The point is that he doesn't beat children. Uh, but no, it turns out he just thought he could get something from them. Ha <laughs> ha, cool. Yep. Well, yeah. 
And that's about the point where I was like, oh, no, you're definitely not a hero. Yeah. I've been lied to. Yeah. And then it's basically just the on and off between him and Brom. What's with the bit where the ladies all orgasm faint when he accidentally, well, when he's presumed to have made a wolf noise while singing? Like, are they just, are they furries? Is that what's going on here? You know what? I don't know, but let's say yes. (laughs) It's, I can't come up with a better reason. It's, they're clearly still into it. It's not a fear faint. No. They're all like, ooh, my God, how delightful. Eh. Uh, so one big anachronism is that they're at a Halloween party, which is a neat trick in 1790. That's, this is more of a modern American invention, isn't it? Yeah, Halloween. Halloween existed, but it wasn't called Halloween, and it wasn't celebrated in the extremely uh, religious New England areas. Something to do with, like, burning witches and stuff. It probably wasn't celebrated by a bunch of boring people having a very ordinary bond dance. Yeah. <laughs> well, bond dances are also, like, very new. Yeah, exactly. I... I keep on going to say the name of the festival that's, like, the Celtic one. But oh, it's like Sohin or something? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, my brain is throwing up letters, and I think I, I think the letters are right, but I don't know how to pronounce them. Okay, correctly. look, it's spelled Samhain. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. But fuck if that's how you're supposed to say it. Yeah. And what I said is almost certainly wrong. And I'll, I'll cop to that. I yeah. don't know how to say the fucking word. Yeah. Don't get at me. Point is that that did exist, but Halloween didn't. So, all right. So that's an anachronism. Yeah. Well, I mean, was this story American in the first place? Yes. It was. Okay. Oh, okay. So so here's a fun thing. The story is American. Sleepy Hollow is American. Mm-hmm. Sleepy Hollow, Hollow is a remix of a German myth. That figures. So, but it was all, but like, it wasn't a matter of like, oh, a p- couple of Germans came over and told their myth and it got reincorporated. No, it was like one dude was like, eh, what kind of stories can I write to make money in this area? I'll write a bunch of stories where I just take German myths and transplant them here. I mean, it turns out you can't just copy shit other people have written. Yeah. It's the thing that people can do. Yeah. Disney. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I mean, without acknowledging it. So Disney. Yeah. So in the context of this, like one of the details is like, he's not a headless horseman. He's not known as the headless horseman. He's known as the Hessian horseman. Oh, does he have a sack on his head? Uh, or a well, sack full of heads. He doesn't have a head. Sack full of gripples. <laughs> it was taken off by a cannonball. Ah, I see. But, you know, he was not known as the Headless Horseman. Apparently he was known as the Hessian Horseman. Because that's the really pertinent detail. We want to make sure that we know what part of the Ottoman Empire this character came from. Oh, Hessian, not like a Hessian sack. Yeah. Hessian is a nationality. Yeah. Never heard of that. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. Uh-uh. Believe I, I'm on record discussing my ability with geography and/or history. And I probably picked the wrong empire. It's probably Prussian. The Prussian horseman. <laughs> well, that is scary shit. <laughs> uh, Ichabod Crane has some fucking yai hands. <laughs> they, I mean, I must commend them on a truly upsetting character design. Like he is compellingly gruesome to look at. Yeah, and they emphasize that really well in the way that he moves and the way that he eats and the various bits of him that bulge yep and it's yeah i mean this is all very deliberate and unpleasant and that's what it's supposed to be so good job i guess yep (laughs) uh you remember last episode how we discussed gaston's descendants yeah This chode is absolutely the missing link. I I wanted to do a Chad um <laughs> Chad Virgin meme. The, yeah, the Chad Virgin meme with um Ichabod and uh Brom. That's Brom. Name, yeah, it? God even has a Chad name. Yeah, Brom. Brom. 
So, what else is there? I find myself throughout the movie just trying to decide which one of them is more of an asshole, but you can't really decide, so... They both suck, and they the, the story is a story between their conflict about possessing an object, not about anything Katrina wants. Oh yeah, and she is the worst and most awful thing in this movie. My god, it's unpleasant. Yeah, I just, like, I mean, she's nothing but the shallow bitch who wants men to fight over her stereotype just from head to toe she's a nothing character (laughs) i mean she's not supposed to be much of a character obviously but like it's that just makes it very very evident and unashamed i guess that she is strictly an object and uh you know it doesn't hurt that they're both also just blatantly after her father's money as well like every person in this is awful every person well except the fat girl yep and then (laughs) we get to the second worst thing but she's a disgusting troll because she is a fat lady yep and uh as everybody knows we fat women are just all about foisting our affections on men who rightfully are disgusted by us not being able to take no for an answer and, you know, just with an added dose of, like, we're ape-like and strong and uncouth and powerful. And, well, I mean, we are those things. But, I mean, god damn it! I just, I hate this so much. I hate what they did with her. I kind of love her. Yeah, no. I More power to this horrid little troll. I, I, uh, I kind solidarity of... Sister. <laughs> solidarity, sister. Solidarity, sister. I kind of love the fact that Brom's like, ah, oh, this'll get him jealous. And it just completely fucking backfires on him. Because she's like, oh, yeah. I'm going to get it. <laughs> Damn right you are. Oh, oh, I don't think it was because he would be jealous of her. She's horrible after all. Mm. It was just an excuse to get onto the dance floor. Yeah, exactly. And then she's like, cool. No, you're in this. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I set the terms. I control the speed at which lobsters die. <laughs> and that's funny because she's gross. She's not a woman with a waist roughly the size of your wrist. Yeah. And it has to be said. Like a hell of a titty rack going on for vintage Disney. Like, oh, yeah. They got much more modest about this when Cinderella came along, who, by the way, has this woman's face. Just yeah. wholesale. Wow, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, uh, Katrina's... <laughs> same. They are the same. Katrina's neck and waist are the same. Neck and waist, yeah, that sounds about right. Multiple shots, I looked at them and was like, nope, nope, get that. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, uh, it sucks. I like her. I think she deserves better. But the good news for her is Brom marries Katrina, so she's not stuck in a shitty marriage with Brom, who sucks. Or with Ichabod, who just wanted her to make food for him. Yep. So, with the actual finale, the the whole thing this story is building up to, the musical number kind of bangs. <laughs> I did enjoy that. I'm willing to guess that any enduring popularity this half a movie has is probably due to this in itself and the horseman sequence afterwards being played on like specials like halloween special every year i'm sure they played this they were like yeah just enjoy the song yeah it's it's a segment of a disney feature film that was definitely uh an artistic achievement a a whole and cohesive feature film and uh definitely you should not take it as a mark against it that this is the only bit we will rescreen yeah, and it's, it's got Bing Crosby singing, and I understand that Mr. Crosby could sing a thing or two. He certainly sounded good in the uh, in the choir sequence. Yeah. Like, that's when I was still like, oh, maybe we're supposed to like this guy? Then there's the actual pursuit. There's the, the whole sequence of the, the Headless Horseman chasing him. And in the story, 
the written story, um, it's actually left completely ambiguous as to whether or not this actually happens. It could entirely be Ichabod's brain playing tricks on him. Ah! Um, I think the cartoon kind of doesn't give you that ambiguity, but instead offers you a different kind of ambiguity, which is, did the Headless Horseman murk him or not? <laughs> I think it's pretty clear that he didn't die. Um, and the reason I say this is because I feel like the Headless Horseman would have killed him. Yeah. Um, if he'd wanted to. Because that whole slapstick chase sequence was like, it was very, like, you know, huh, be afraid. I didn't accidentally get him, did I, kind of energy. And if you assume it's Brom, which yeah. I assume is also ambiguous in both versions for a reason. Yeah. But if we assume it is Brom, which I do, because Brom is a shit cheese. Yeah. It is, it is an interesting thing because the original story does play a lot of ambiguous points. It could be Brom, it could be Ichabod's entire psyche, or it could actually be a supernatural headless horseman. But, um... I understand why that ambiguity would have been harder to do in this version. Yeah, anyway. It would have been really cool if they pulled it off somehow. But, you know, I'll forgive them for not being able to work out how that would go. And for wanting to draw a cool headless horseman, I'll forgive them for that too. So you want to know a bit from the written story that got cut for definitely political reasons of the times? Oh dear. How much was this a race thing? It wasn't race. Oh. Uh, Ichabod, when he leaves, uh-huh. or is killed, or is murked, or whatever, I don't know. When Ichabod is gone, one of the members of the town is like, Well, this is clearly because of all those occult books he's been reading. And they pile his books in the street and burn them. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it's 1948. Maybe yep. that... <sighs> Maybe we didn't want to animate any public book burnings. Maybe that hits different. <laughs> Ma- yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, progress comes from the strangest of corners sometimes. <laughs> sometimes the only way to get past something dumb shit that was part of your heritage is to just want very badly to not be a Nazi. And, uh, you know, progress, I guess. Yeah. I didn't have much comment on the chase. Like, it was very serviceable, you know, comedy scary, but not really very interesting. We haven't done The Lion King yet. We're not that good at this (laughs) kind of thing. Oh, I did enjoy that shot of the moon uh, with the clouds wrapping around it, very obviously being hands. Yeah. And you can tell they really liked it too because they used it again. Yep. (laughs) Hey, I mean... At least they recognize the best bit. Well, that's how they saved all the money to make their whopping 1.65 million at the box office. Ooh. Yeah. Oof. Sharp step down. Yeah, that hurts. Did they beat that budget on this one? Don't know. But the thing is, if they're happy about the budget to box office comparison, they tell you. Yeah, oh, definitely. It's This was not good times for them and they knew it. No. Though, ironically... The failure, comparatively, of Ichabod and Mr. Toad is not so pronounced because they're still renting <laughs> the other two. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they are. But, uh, you know, things are things are about to look up for them because next episode, Talon, we're going to leave this dark, dark wood of grab bag musical garbage uh-huh. and racism. Yep. In fact, come to think of it, Cinderella might be one of the least yikes door movies that we have run up against in this whole vintage selection. Let's see how well that ages next week. That's a good question. I'm going to put a pin in that and we'll see. (laughs) But, uh, you know, good things. Either way, we're going to see a full length feature film again. It's going to be just one story for the whole film. Decadence. My God. Will it have a story, Papa? 
Oh, yes, a, a great and glorious story. Oh, thank goodness, Papa. I was so sick of chewing story off the ground. Because we crossed the bridge, Talon. The ghost's power ends here. We get to go back to real movies now. Good enough. Good enough. Good, Good enough. enough. I think everyone deserves a little clapping good enough time to time in their lives. <laughs> we should all have just like a little life coach who does that. <laughs>